Namaong Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale Shimate Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Tinali Shivarshabhana Videvi Dayataya Kripadhe Krishna Sambandha Vigyana Dayane Prabhave Namaha Madhur Yojvala Prema Dhyashi Rupan Yoga Bhakti Dashi Gaura Karuna Shakti Vigrahaya Namastute Namaste Gauravani Shri Murtaye Dinatarine Rupano Gavirudha Pasidhanta Dvantarine Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Goswami Maharaj Prabhupada who is the guru of Srila Isi Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada um, he was also the founder of the Goryamat which he developed as a dynamic preaching institution. Srila Bhakti Stansasar Thakur appeared in this world in 1874 in Puri. His uh, father was Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur, who is also a great Acharya, succession in our, in our Parampara. You can see this is the picture of Srila Bhakti Saraswati on the altar, next to the Murti of Srila Prabhupada. And on the far right is the picture of Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur. Uh, Bhaktinath Thakur started the work of reviving the mission of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared in this world 500 years ago and gave the unique path of Vaishnavism based on <coughs> chanting the holy names of Krishna and developing pure unmotivated love for Krishna. Uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's process is, some, is very liberal. However, that very liberality means uh, it is open to exploitation by rascals. So many people had misinterpreted and misrepresented the cult of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to such an extent that Vivekananda, the famous and respected, wrongly respected Hindu sannyasi, uh, commented that Vaishnavism is a sex religion. And this was the general way people in Bengal thought of the cult of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu at that time. Seeing that uh, in the name of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, people were engaging in illicit activities. So, uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur was also a great Vaishnava Acharya. And he changed the way of thinking, especially of the educated elite of Bengal. At that time there was a saying, whatever happens in Calcutta today, happens in the rest of India tomorrow because Calcutta was the capital of the British Raj and especially in Bengal uh, many intellectuals were taking to British ways and there were many intellectuals you'll find many of the famous intellectuals of that period were from Bengal that period and the next century that Vivekananda, famous intellectual, we don't agree with what he said, but he was famous. And Aurobindo, Jagadish Chandra Bosch, then uh, the Ravindra, the, the, not only Ravindra, the Tagore family, and uh, so many others. The, the, the Brahma Samaj was there. So, uh, the, the Bengali intellectual elite was very influential throughout all of India, but they practically unanimously had a very poor opinion of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's cult. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he was instrumental in changing that outlook by writing many books and personally speaking to so many people about the pristine principles of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's culture. Pristine means original and pure. He also did much work in preaching Krishna consciousness throughout the villages of Bengal. He wrote hundreds of uh, wonderful songs, mostly in Bengali, also in Sanskrit. This Jayo, Jayo Gora Chanda we sing in the evening, Jai Radha Madhava, these are also, these are all Bhaktivinoda Thakur songs. This song you was just singing, you were singing Gora Nittai, was it Gora Nittai? Actually it's Koda Nittai. Oh, it's Koda Nittai. That's a song by Bhaktivinoda Thakur also. Uh, so he was doing all this, but um, at the same time he was, a, he was a householder, he was a magistrate in the British government. So, even though as a Vaishnava he was powerful to, to deliver the whole universe but he felt that being a householder he's somewhat limited in how much he can do felt he was limited limited, mm. limited ability 
So he prayed to Krishna to please send someone who could very strongly and powerfully preach his cult. Uh, he had 13 children, which was, which was not unusual in those days for people to have many children. Family planning by contraception is a modern invention. Uh, among whom one was Bimala Prasad, later to be known as Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He was named as Bimala, because he was born in Puri, so he was named after the Durga deity, or, or the, the form of Durga who is the presiding deity of Puri. The presiding, the presiding deity is Jagannath, but the presiding form of Durga in Puri is Bimala. She has so many different names and she's particularly famous in different places by different names such as Bhuvaneshwari, Chandi, Vaishnavi, Narayani and so on but in Puri she is known as Bimala. So uh, he was named like this and uh, he was actually at that time Bhakti Thakur was living on the Grand Road that's the British gave the name Grand Road that's the that's the main road in Puri where the Rath comes out every year on the Rath Yatra. So, actually when he was born, he was born with his umbilical cord wrapped in a manner that Gorya Vaishnavs, in the Brahmins in that cult, they often wrap it around like this. So he had, his, he had that wrap like that. Uh, when he was six months old came time for Rath Yatra and Jagannath's cart coming down the road stopped right in front of Bhaktinath Thakur's house. Jagannath, everyone's pulling with the ropes but actually he moves and stops as he likes. And when he stops, no one can move him. So he stopped for three days outside Bhaktinath Thakur's house. At that time Bhaktinath Thakur organized a continuous festival of Kirtan and it was arranged for Bimala Prasad's mother to, perform, to have the Anaprasana ceremony right on the rat with Jagannath Prasad. The first eating of rice. So when the mother, his mother touched the baby to the Jagannath's feet and at that time a garland fell and encircled the baby. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur could understand that this child is the answer to my prayer. That some representative of Krishna come to this world. When Bimala was just a young boy, five or six years old, one day uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur brought some mangoes. He brought from the market some ripe mangoes. He brought them home and the young boy took one and started to eat it. Bhaktivinoda Thakur chastised him. He said, how can you eat that? It's not offered to the deity. He said, it's an offense. So the little boy said, oh, I made a great offense. So throughout his life, he, he took a vow as a young boy. He said, I will never take mango. He never took throughout his life. Such staunch determination to make Krishna conscious. So, Bhaktivinoda Thakur kept that boy with him and trained him from a young age in Krishna consciousness. By the age of seven, he could not only recite all the verses of the Gita, but he could ex explain them also. From his young age, it was clear that he was extraordinarily intelligent. Uh, however, he was never... He was given uh, Western education in Calcutta. Actually, Bhaktivinoda Thakur was from a Bengali family. There was, there was, he was living in Puri. So, uh, actually their family is coming in the line of Narottam Das, the same family line as Narottam Das Thakur, who is another great Acharya in our Vaishnava. So, he was getting a secular education. He was actually very expert in mathematics and, and astronomy. And at a, at a young age, while he was still in his teens, he was offered the, the post of lecturer at Calcutta University in astronomy. And he was becoming very prominent and famous as an astronomer. He knew astronomy and astrology. But after a short time he gave it up. And he left college and he was appointed as secretary to the king of Tripura. Which uh, at that time as a kingdom it was bigger than the small state than it is now. So, after about two years of doing that, he resigned from that also. He, even while at college, he formed a society with his school friends called the Chirakumar Sabha. The idea was that they should never get married. He was the only one who maintained his determination about, among that group. 
But from the beginning he wasn't interested in worldly pursuits. Um, at a young age he took initiation from Gorky Shodas Babaji Maharaj whose picture you can see in between Bhaktinoda Thakos and Gorky Shodas Babaji was a famous Vaishnava but he didn't tolerate anything that was slightly non-Vaishnava. He was, ex- he was extremely critical of people who made a show of being Vaishnavas. He was also illiterate although he knew all the conclusions of Vaishnava Siddhanta. Bhaktinoda Thakur directed Bhakti... Actually Bhaktinoda Thakur was practically like the guru of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasar Thakur. And Bhakti Siddhanta, he never... He never related to his father just like my father. He always thought of him as as a Paramahamsa Vaishnava who is my guru. He never maintained a mundane relationship with him. But Bhaktinoda Thakur directed him to take initiation from Gorkishwantas Babaji. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati was a cultured, sophisticated, highly intelligent intellectual. And Gorkishwantas was uh, very rough, uneducated, almost like a madman, who would sometimes wear a copin and sometimes go naked, who would, uh, he had half a skull, which he would use for, he would just get some rice and soak in the skull, he would soak some rice in Ganga water, and when it's a little bit soft, he would chew that. There are so many things to be said. So uh, Bhaktinoda Thakur in, instructed him, you take initiation from him. It wasn't going to be an easy job because he didn't have any disciples. He, he, he refused to accept any disciples. He used to say that, well, I, if I can't serve Krishna properly, then how can I accept service from anybody myself? So Bhaktisthan Saraswati approached him and asked for initiation, and he refused. He said, no, you're very learned, and I, I don't know anything, and how can you, how can you be my disciple? But uh, Bhaktisthan was very determined to take initiation from him. He took the order of Bhaktinoda Thakur very seriously. Was, uh, another consideration was that who else to take initiation from? <laughs> there, were, there were not there were very few real Vaishnavas in the world at that time. So Bhaktisthan Saraswati insisted, no, you must, you must give me initiation. So he said, all right, I'll ask Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Gorky Shantas he asked, he said, I'll ask Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So after some time, Bhaktisthan Saraswati came and said, well, what did Chaitanya Mahaprabhu say? So Gorky Shantas said, well, I forgot to ask. So in this way, he was trying to avoid him. But eventually, Bhaktisthan Saraswati, he just said that, you know, I can't, you know, I don't see any point in continuing my life if you don't give me your mercy. I'm, su- I'm such a wretched person, I... Yeah, you won't be merciful to me. So seeing that he was so serious and genuine, unlike most of the people who came to him, Gorkishwar Das Babaji Maharaj eventually gave him initiation. And uh, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati at this time, he was living in Mayapur and with Gorkishwar Babaji sometimes. And sometimes he was going to different places and speaking and preaching. One uh, very famous and significant preaching incident took place in the Mednipur district because Bhaktivinoda and Bhaktisiddhanta, they had been preaching that this idea that one should become a guru only if you're born in a certain family, they were preaching against this. So it had become a very controversial issue. So a great meeting was held to discuss these points. Bhaktivinoda Thakur was expected to addressed the meeting, but he was indisposed with rheumatism at the time. So he sent his son, Bhaktisiddhanta who was just a young man at the time. So Bhaktisiddhanta, in his speech, he first of all gave innumerable quotes from scriptures praising the Brahmins, many of which the Brahmins present themselves were not aware of, because uh, he was actually a very, very big scholar vastly learned in Shastra. So the Brahmins were very pleased to hear all these descriptions. Yeah. But, but then Bhaktisthan Saraswati went on to explain from Shastra what it actually meant to be a Brahmin, not that you're just born in a Brahmin family. And he gave so many quotes to show that the position of a Vaishnav is better than that of a worldly Brahmana. Worldly Brahmana means Karmakandiya Brahmana. So then the, Brahm- 
Then the caste brahmanas, they were not very happy. But it was clear that uh, they couldn't withstand his arguments. They were defeated. So even as a young man, he was always... From the beginning, he was always against any cheating in the, in the name of religion. But it wasn't easy. So many people criticized him. He was going against the current of society. So eventually, apparently feeling somewhat discouraged, he went to stay in Mayapur. Seeing so much cheating in the name of Vaishnavism and... He, he simply thought, I'll sit in Mayapur, which is the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and chant Hare Krishna. So he took a vow <coughs> to chant a, a billion names of Krishna. That means, let's see, a uh, thousand, and that's like 10,000 10, lakhs of, of names of Krishna. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah, we can say in cross, yeah. So at that time, Mayapur was just some fields, there was no proper road. There's no, actually, no, no proper road. There was no road, no. not even Im improper road. <coughs> so he simply sat in a grass hut in Mayapur and chanted day and night. And he chanted a hundred crores. It took him just over nine years. It's his whole engagement for nine years was chanting Hare Krishna. Though occasionally people would come to see him and even some people took initiation from him. Few people, but he wasn't widely preaching at that time. Then one of his followers, who had previously been attached to the Ram Krishna mission, thought, well, why don't we have a Hare Krishna mission, Gauriya mission also? Because uh, even Prabhupada used to say that the Ram Krishna mission is very well organized, how they're spread, even though we're completely against the philosophy, but in terms of organization, he said they're very well organized and we can learn how to organize from them. So this disciple arranged for Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati to come to Calcutta. He arranged, he rented a house and he arranged for regular lectures and then for Bhaktisiddhanta to go out and address different meetings like this. And actually it was successful. At this time, oh, what happened actually previous to this was that just as he was nearing this vow of chanting a hundred cross of the names, then in, in a dream his gurus, Bhaktivinoda Thakur and Gaur Kishwadas Prabhuji, his, uh, his guru, then previous acharyas and six Goswamis and Panchatattva, they all came to him and told him, you go out and preach, don't worry, we are with you, go. So he went to Calcutta and started, uh, already uh, from his, he, he had many contacts from previously, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur at this time had passed away, but they, Bhaktivinoda Thakur's disciples also, um, they, they helped him to organize, to have different programs in different places. So in this way things gradually became organized, and although Bhaktivinoda Saraswati was absolutely uncompromising in his preaching, uh, some people were attracted to that, and gradually a dynamic preaching organization developed under him. He established 64 Gorya Mats, mostly in India. He also sent devotees to the West, to England and Germany, although they weren't able to do anything very substantial. He wrote many books. He was always busy writing books. So in this way his uh, movement became very successful. I can tell a few anecdotes. Udaharan? Yeah. Anecdote means it's more like a little story. There are so many. I've been collecting them. I'm going to publish a book, hopefully, soon. Some starting some 12 years ago, I started interviewing the few of his disciples who were still alive. So here are a few stories. I'll just tell three or four. There are so many. Once one uh, one school teacher came to him and asked for initiation. So this, he had, he had a beard, this school teacher. So Bhaktisthan Sarasvatthaka said, you can take initiation, but you have to cut off your beard. But he said, well, you know, I've been growing it for quite a long time. <laughs> so Sarasvatthaka said, well, you have to choose which is dearest to you, Krishna or your beard. So he chose his beard. He left. He didn't take initiation. Another school teacher or headmaster came to him once and said that, you're teaching us... Uh, all these very difficult things. They're saying that we shouldn't eat fish, which in Bengal, that's, that's quite a major thing, not to eat fish. So he said, why don't you give us an easier way? 
So Bhaktisthan Saraswati said that you are fallen in the well. I am giving you a rope by which you can come up. He said, you don't try to pull me down and be with you. That, uh, thinking about a well, that makes us think of the... Uh, within the Sri Vaishnava Sampradaya, there are two branches. Tenkalai and Vadgalai. So, the, the, the cat philosophy and monkey philosophy. Cat? Cat philosophy and monkey philosophy. The... Marjadanyai, that's the, the, the cat logic, is that the cat catches the kitten by the back of the neck and takes it. Whereas the, so the kitten is just caught by the cat, by the mother cat. Whereas the baby monkey holds on to the mother. So there's a great philosophical discussion over the relationship of the devotee to Bhagavan. Some say that, well, it's just like the kitten is caught by the cat, so in the same way Bhagavan just takes hold of his devotees and looks after them. But the others, they say that no, the devotee has to make his effort to hold on to Bhagavan also, like the monkey. Bhaktisthan Saraswati, he gave another example, he said to, to resolve this. He said it's just like someone is in a well and you, th- you throw the rope to them. So the mercy is coming down, but at the same time you have to reach out and hold on to the rope to get a hold of it. So it's a combination of the, the... The mercy is coming down, but you have to take it also. It's a causeless mercy, but you still have to take it. There was uh, one of his sannyasis was always preaching to the devotees that you have to, you have to chant <coughs> very attentively. You have to chant the holy names attentively. So Bhaktisthan Saraswati said, he himself is not chanting attentively, but he's preaching like that for his own benefit also. There's another devotee who liked to chant many rounds. And he used to like to, even late at night or early in the morning, he'd be chanting, chanting. But then he would fall asleep because he wasn't sleeping enough. So you know, on the, they put, for tying the mosquito net, they put the bamboo by the side of the bed. So he used to sit on the bed and tie his shikha to the bamboo. So he, so he wouldn't fall asleep. But Bhaktisthan Sarsartago said, this is... This is not the way to chant. It's not, it's not a mechanical process. You actually have to develop taste for the holy name. You would sometimes come around at night and see how everyone is sleeping, make sure they use mosquito nets. He didn't want the devotees to get sick. He wanted them to be busy working for Krishna. He used to send everyone out for collection daily. That means in his mats there were brahmacharis and sannyasis living. So he used to send them out with the idea that if they ask for a donation, people say, why? What for? And then they'd have to preach to them. In this way, in this way they would also get some donation and do some preaching. And sometimes the people would ask questions and the brahmacharis, they wouldn't know the answer. So in that case, they would tell them, all right, you wait, tomorrow I'll come and give you the answer. Because every, in the morning they would go for collection, and in the afternoon, after lunch, they would have ishtagoshti every day, in which the, 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 the senior devotees they would have a reading from Bhaktivinoda Thakur's books and then they would discuss all the questions that had come up in preaching. So if there's any question unanswered, they would give the answer and then they'd go back the next day and give the answer. So in this way they were trained no, in preaching. Not. He was very interested in printing and distributing books and magazines. Even as a young child, Bhaktivinoda Thakur had trained him how to operate the printing press, he would have, he had several printing presses for printing in different languages. And he, he knew everything about, even if there was some, even if the machine was broken, he could analyze and say, this requires to be done to repair it, like this. He knew how to, everything, typesetting, in those days it was by hand, hand typesetting, how to operate the machine, everything. So uh, he used to say that my father taught me how to Proofread. That was one of the first things his father taught him. Oh. Mostly in Bengali. He mostly preached in Bengali. Bengali. Although he also knew uh, English, Aurya to some extent, Sanskrit to some extent. In, in fact, his language was very tough. If you read the Brahma Samhita, you can see his, what kind of language he's using. In both English and Bengali, his language is very tough. Very highly intellectual language. So he said that my father trained me in proofreading. But he said, I don't... I don't only proofread manuscripts, but I proofread people, and I proofread religions, and I proofread the whole world. And if I found out any mistake, I correct it. He used to say, I was born in the Karkata Lagna. 
Karakata lagna, that's astrological. Karakata means the crab. Karakata, that's Sanskrit, that's Oriyan also. So he said, just like a crab, if I find anything is wrong, I will catch it, pinch it. Not scorpion. Scorpion is wrist chicken. Cancer is that books, magazines. Sometimes, even if one of his brahmacharis would sell even one or two magazines, he would be very pleased with him. He even, for, for several years, he even had a daily newspaper about Krishna consciousness. One time, uh, Madan Mohan Malavia came to see him, that famous figure in those days, now becoming forgotten. So he said, how can you have a daily newspaper about Krishna consciousness? And it seems, you know, how can you have enough news to put in a daily newspaper? So Bhaktisthan Saraswati said that, well, in this Calcutta city there are twelve daily newspapers. Now there are less. So Calcutta is one tiny city. In a, it's just one city out of so many cities on this tiny little earth planet. And there are so many planets within the universe. And there are so many universes in the material world. But uh, this is only, the whole material world is only one quarter compared to the whole manifestation including the spiritual world. So if there are twelve newspapers in a tiny place like Calcutta, uh, then uh, we could have so many newspapers, we could bring out one newspaper every second about the spiritual world. But unfortunately there are no customers. So another time Madan Mohan Malavia came and said, I have some questions I want to ask you. So Saraswati said, you please go and ask the Pujaris. So he said, no, these are very complex philosophical questions. I think only you can answer them. Bhaktisthan Saraswati said, you please ask the Pujaris. So he went and asked them. At that time they were cleaning the brass used for the Puja. And so he asked, he said, I have some questions I'd like to ask you. So he said, well, we're busy cleaning this Puja Samagri. Why don't you help us and afterwards we can discuss. So he was a nationally famous figure, but he was humble enough to accede to their request. So when they'd finished cleaning, he didn't ask any questions. He went back to Pakistan Saraswati, who asked him, so did you get the answer to your questions? He said, yes. He said, actually I didn't ask any questions, but the Pujaris asked me to help them with cleaning the brass. And as I was cleaning, the answers automatically came in my mind. So Bhaktisthan Saraswati said, yes. Krishna cannot be understood simply by philosophical discussion. But when Krishna is pleased with someone's service, then he reveals himself. So Madan Mohan, Mohan Malavi is very pleased. He said, we want 1,000 persons like you to go throughout India and preach the real message of independence. Actually, the, but mostly the, India, the leaders of the Indian independence movement, they weren't very happy with him. He used to cooperate with the British government. He said that there's no harm if the British are in charge. They should take some advice from us. But otherwise, we don't, we don't mind who's in charge as long as they don't obstruct our preaching of Krishna consciousness. So, the, actually when Prabhupada first went to see him, when he was a young man, he said, he said to him, he said to Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, that how can you preach this Krishna Bhakti when India, who will listen when India is a slave nation? So Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati said that Krishna consciousness, the preaching of Krishna consciousness is so urgent, it can't wait for any political adjustment. So Gandhi, Ane Besant and all these people, they didn't like him actually. He, he liked him. He had a good, once they invited Gandhi, he, he sent two brahmacharis to invite Gandhi to your mat, to their mat. So Gandhi asked, do you have the chakra there? Are you spinning? Because that, that was his idea that everyone, they should have a chakra in their home for, for making cotton. So they said, no, we're worshipping God, we're worshipping Krishna. So he said, Chaka is my God. He refused to come. There are so many stories. <laughs> Hopefully the book should be out fairly soon. Jai, we have Kirtan. Maharaj, what made Gandhi to say, Hey Ram, and he died? Many people, they say, he's a... Um, according to, uh, what's the name of the guy who shot him? Natu by Godse. Natu So, according to his younger brother, he, before the Godse was hung, he told that actually Gandhi didn't say that at all, it's just some folklore. If he did, that was his good luck. He was basically an atheist.
He wrote in his ridiculous book, Experiments with Truth, which is a ridiculous title to a book, because the truth is not a matter of experimentation. <coughs> he wrote in that book that I don't, I don't mm -hmm. believe that. He wrote in that book that I do not believe that any such person as Krishna ever existed. So you'll find many people like that. They say they talk about Ram and Krishna, but if you discuss with them, they'll find they don't actually believe they existed at all. So Gandhi was like that. His aim was political, but he saw that people in India are very religious and. Actually, they couldn't be motivated politically, but but he presented this this uh, Swaraj as a spiritual movement, and then the Indian people became interested. Otherwise, they weren't interested. Nowadays, the VHP and the RSS they they present people like Shivaji as a great nationalist. No, but I'm saying Shivaji because he was fighting against the Muslims. Yeah, Chhatrapati Shivaji, and they present this. Uh, Oh, what was the name of that? Uh, that there was a famous Rajput who was fighting. No, 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 not Rani Jansi. Uh, he built the the temple for Rupa Goswami. What's his name? Mal Singh. There, anyway, there's one Rajput famous. He was he was fighting on behalf. He was the commander in chief of the Muslim forces, and they're mostly fighting against the Hindu princes. No, then there may have been so many, but particularly this one, Mal Singh. I can't, I can't remember. Man Singh. Man Singh. So they present him as a traitor, Deshadrohi. But in those days, there was uh, there was no such consideration. It was just it was different political alliances. That's all. They weren't considering whether it's Hindu or Muslim. It was just for their own personal <laughs> their own personal political alliance. That's all. The people in India, they weren't that concerned whether they were ruled by a Muslim or a Hindu. Some of the Muslim rulers, they were, they were better than some of the Hindu rulers. If they, were li if they let them go on with their life and practice, just like Akbar, then uh, were some of the Hindu princes, they were just completely madmen. They were killing their citizens and doing all kinds of crazy things. So, they, they weren't that much concerned, you know, as far as... The common people, they just wanted to live their life, that's all. They weren't so much concerned. Who was the king? Who was in charge? This whole idea of nationalism, it's a modern invention actually. There was no such thing previously. The, that's come up because of democracy. Otherwise, previously the Rajas were fighting amongst themselves. And the ordinary people, they, you know, they, they had nothing to do with it. What is the meaning of Gaudiya? Gaudiya, the, that means uh, of the land of Gaur, which is more or less corresponds to West Bengal. But there's another meaning which um, Bhaktisthansa sorry, Thakur said that Gauriya Vaishnava particularly means it's not so much a geographical thing but it means those whose topmost object of worship is Radharani. We preach Krishna Bhakti but the uh, the esoteric understanding of Gauriya Vaishnavism is that Radha is more than Krishna. We are ultimately we are shaktas. We worship Shakti, but we worship combined. Radha Krishna. There is no Shakti without Shakti man, and no Shakti man without Shakti, as stated in the Vedanta Sutra. Shakti Shakti Matar Veda. You going to ask? Yeah, I have one question. I heard that Vivekananda was also some some relation with Yeah, there was some distant relation. They are both dattas. You must have got you must have got that from my book. I think it's interesting because I heard that he came. I mean, in the book it says that he came to the temple and he was the Interesting. Yeah, he didn't like him at all. There was no love lost. March around six devotee congregation devotees are going to Mayapur. Mm. What we should know about Mayapur? What when you said match, I thought you yeah, it's the Bengali word for fish. I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to, I thought you, were going to, you just said about Vivekananda. I thought you were, What should you do? What we should do? Forget all your worldly troubles and chant Hare Krishna. Yes. <laughs> Bathe in the Ganga at Mayapur and join in the Kirtan. Don't get involved in it. There may be people uh, coming to talk to you about some politics and this and that. It's a big festival and many people come to try and promote their own 
you know, within spiritual organizations there are different political viewpoints. So many people may come and or they may tell you there's some guru down the road, if you take initiation from him you're you can immediately come and take initiation, doesn't matter whether you're following anything or not, and you'll instantly get Krishna Prem. <laughs> so be careful of that also. I might be doing a little of my own political preaching <laughs> against the women's liberation movement in ISKCON, which I'm very much against. Let's see. Mm. Uh, you said about this uh, preacher who, who, is, who is not uh, who is preaching something but he could not uh, uh, he is good or bad? No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, he's, he's good. He's saying he's, he's preaching to himself also. He didn't say he shouldn't do that. On the lecture, when Maharaj said about one preacher who was preaching something but he could not follow. Fathers. And Bhaktisnati said to him that he is preaching to himself. And I asked him if it's, this is good or bad. He is good. Yeah. When we come to this temple and when we are devotees, <coughs> we are quite comfortable and uh, <laughs> Once and when you go, go out, you get caught in Maya. Once you go out, big problem, But somehow we have to do that also. Yeah. How to handle this uh, duel? Uh? <laughs> <laughs> How to demarcate? What to do? <laughs> there is no solution. The only solution is to go back to Godhead. As long as we are in this material world, it's simply miserable. Every time when I come here, Rishya Prabhu when I go, where are you going? I know it is going to be a dead the outside, but I don't know what to tell you. And this will continue for a lifelong Maharaj. Yeah. <laughs> as long as we're in the material world, there are difficulties. But we should actually work towards making communities of devotees, isn't it? Yes. Where devotees can live and they don't have to mix up with this miserable materialistic world. Prabhupada had that vision, we were just discussing where devotees can live together and chant Hare Krishna. Of course we see that by the nature of the age of Kali, even when devotees do come together, they don't always agree with each other fully on everything. Kali Yuga is powerful. But uh, yeah, we should try to make some situation which we don't have to mix intimately with materialistic people, where people can live and produce their own food and cloth and live simply and chant Hare Krishna. Otherwise it's miserable. To have to deal with materialistic people in a materialistic way, it's horrible. Yeah, every ISKCON center is having regular courses. Oh, you mean like uh, college? Well, to some extent, every ISKCON center is like that. We have regular, regular teaching going on. Um, there are some, some kind of structured courses also. There are regular courses in some of the bigger centers. They do from usually just brief courses. In Vrindavan they have longer six-month preacher training course or one month. Here also the devotees have mostly done this Bhakti Shastri study by themselves, which takes quite a long time. If you if you do two hours a day, how long does it take you to go through the whole thing? It'll be different for different people. One year. One year, yeah. It's not a small thing. I see devotees who do that, they have piles of notebooks. So something is there, but it's also something that very much needs to be developed. Vaishnav colleges. Yeah, we can. In fact, um, one devotee who I'm quite close with, I, I haven't seen him much and I mean I saw him once or twice when he was in India years ago he was studying astrology at that time, he's a serious astrologer and now he's in America, I have a lot of contact with him by email and I just saw him briefly in America a few years ago but uh, he's setting up a, a school of astrology in 
America. Now his aim is um, to preach Krishna consciousness through astrology because he, he gets like some, some very highly placed people in society consulting him and he wants to train other people but he says that before you can take my astrology course you have to take my Vedanta course because you have to understand before you can understand Vedic astrology which is gradually coming to be accepted as bona fide astrology in the West among people who accept astrology it's becoming coming to be accepted as a much better system than the Western system which is actually <coughs> the Western system is not very good at all so um, so he's saying that to, to understand the principles of Vedic astrology first you have to understand the principles of Vedic philosophy so then they have to take a course in Krishna consciousness so he wants to have a school in India also he's thinking as an adjunct that they should be affiliated with a Vedanta school in, in India the term Vedanta has a lot of prestige here and in the West also for some reason or other so, among a certain class of people so <coughs> his idea is to train people very deeply in the philosophy so they can be very they can be uh, significant preachers so we're discussing about that let's see it's, it's to talk about setting up a college is a lot easier than setting it up and getting the right kind of students and the right kind of teachers and financing it and it's finances is a big question actually but it should be done it will be done by Krishna's will so we're, we're discussing somewhat about how to, his idea is to start he's, he himself started off on the web he was very much involved in that Florida Vedic College but now he's withdrawn from that um, he started up college on the web and he, he wants to expand from that so yeah the, the, the basically the idea is that it should be somewhere in South India he has a sponsor there in America who's from Bangalore who has some land about 20 kilometers from Bangalore he's suggesting there in many ways Bangalore would be good because it's a big city it's central to all of South India uh, we don't have it right in the city but outside and and also there's a very strong presence of the Madhva Sampradaya there so there's some kind of Vaishnav culture is there anyway these are, we're just discussing a little bit about it now it may take time but all these things should be done <coughs> Gokul is telling me that Krishna has invested you with some Shakti for for seeing things that can be done and doing them no, well, you have some idea like that and I was telling him about some of our devotees in, in Bangalore also who have come up in, and become very rich I'm talking in the business line because they're seeing that just by their vision they saw how society is changing and there are different needs or not exactly needs but certain businesses that could be very good and new businesses they've taken up and be, from nothing they've become very rich so people of vision Prabhupada was very much like that he had so many wonderful ideas otherwise how could he make this big Krishna conscious movement all over the world because he had a vision others among his god brothers they may, you know, they may have been scholarly and good at giving lectures and this and that but the vision to, to manifest a big movement and to actually do it that, that was something very special so let's see everything begins with desire but I, w I was also saying to Gokul that I think now they're doing they're all doing preaching here but I think in the long run it, it, we're going to have like bigger center and all this it, it should be managed by local devotees I don't think you know they're, they're for managing and interacting with the local people it's probably better, but but uh, I would see in the long run their role more like teachers spiritual leaders spiritual examples like that as far as organization anyway it's a, it's a headache so some people they, they're good at that and they like to do that and let them do it but there are so many different things we're thinking let's see there are many things can be done if there's 
good vision and good management. I was also showing, just now I was just showing some letter from one of my godbrothers who starting from 1966 he was with the Peace Corps in India and he wasn't one of the hippie Peace Corps types, he was serious and uh, he learned Hindi and Telugu, he was organizing villages and then he joined ISKCON in, in India, though he was American and uh, he personally did the service of about 50 other devotees very capable, Prabhupada had a lot of faith in his organization abilities, he did, he did many many things and then uh, after some time I guess for the last what, 15 or 20 years he's been doing his own business in America but he's been writing to me and saying he wants to get back to the things that Prabhupada asked him to do which was village organization Prabhupada gave him some idea, he was writing all these things, I know that Prabhupada's ideas so you, you show people how to grow their own food, live simply, chant Hare Krishna and this can be, if it's well organized, it can be spread on a very wide level actually we went to that one village and uh, of course mostly the children were coming but if we, gave, if we showed the people how they could grow their own food and live comfortably then hopefully more people would come forward and also take up Krishna consciousness of course, the villages in India aren't what they used to be. Mostly people are all drunkards nowadays and the TV has really spoiled the old village life. And people, it's not like it used to be that people used to produce everything locally. The village was a, was a complete economic unit in itself. Everything was produced locally. Food and then brass pots and everything. But nowadays it is, it's, they, they buy so many things from the city and it, they even crops, it's all on a cash, cash crops basis. People don't grow their food to eat so much, it's just to sell it. And there's so much politics in the villages, the politicians have really, this democracy really spoiled everything. So it's, it's a little more complex than it used to be, but still scope is there because people have a tendency towards religious life in India. And proudly we see that anyone who goes and does something, people gravitate towards it. There are so many nonsense ideas being preached. I, I, just, I just spoke with Gokul just before I came down there saying that, you know, so many people come here, they like to offer flowers and so many things. You know, whatever it is, if, it, whatever, if, if anyone had come here and done any nonsense thing, if it was like some Sai Baba or whatever, people, some people would have come because that's how these people can flourish, because people have a tendency to worship and they're not so much philosophical. If you give them the right thing, they're lucky. If you give them the wrong thing, they're unlucky. Mostly people are giving the wrong thing. So there's scope. Prabhupada thought big. He had very big plans. Let's see. You know, you saw the from up in India Secularism is nonsense. This secularism, it actually means that uh, now we're talking politics, but it's it actually means that Hindus are second-class citizens. It's it's not secularism. It's pro-Islam and pro-Christianity because they they have so many rights and privileges which Hindus are denied. Prabhupada said that at the time of independence, they should have made Bhagavad Gita. The, the national Shastra and they should have followed that. But instead they... I don't know why they divided India and Pakistan. They should have just made it all Pakistan. <laughs> the, the Muslims in India are better treated than they are in Pakistan. We don't hate Muslims but the, 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 the way the politicians have made it's ridiculous. It's, it's like a crazy circus, the whole, the whole Indian political scene. Prabhupada also said that Nehru, he, he spoiled his ideas. He was a complete atheist. He hated Indian culture. Prabhupada also said Gandhi had some good ideas in his mind. Like he was saying he wanted, he knew that India's traditional Indian life was in the villages. So he wanted to preserve that. But he did some stupid things too. <coughs> there would be no Pakistan today if it was Gandhi 
And if they didn't want to give all the weapons and money to Pakistan, they would have been finished immediately. But Gandhi forced them to give all the weapons to Pakistan. And immediately what did they do? They declared war on India. In his non-fairness and non-violence. But because of him so much violence came and he himself got shot too. Prabhupada used to discuss these things. Also, Prabhupada took an interest actually in in India and the political situation and everything. He took an interest. He was preaching that uh, what was that? Moraji Desai's government? What were they called at that time? Janata? Janata. So Prabhupada he was preaching to uh, different leaders at that time just when they came in power. He also went to meet Indira Gandhi. He had some proposals for her. That was before that Prabhupada took a lot of it, even though he had so much success in America, he took he spent more time in India. He considered preaching in India to be most important. India and America, of course he spent devotees everywhere, but he gave a lot of importance to India and America. America because everyone's following, and India because here there's a possibility of a very wide spreading of Krishna consciousness very quickly more so than in other countries and we see here that it's just like ISKCON is very widely known and respected but actually that's kind of, it's there also in other countries nowadays all over the world our movement is from what I can see it's quite well known and it's quite well accepted also in England and different places in Europe places I've traveled I haven't been to Australia since I think 1989 or something but even at that time I saw our movement was very well very well accepted Australia and New Zealand I was going just because many of our devotees in the West they dress in pant and shirt for distributing books because they're afraid people will be turned off by this dress but I was going and distributing books just it was okay no problem people liked they liked our movement there's good scope everywhere. Whereas, mm. theoretically, we understand Bhagavan is supreme. Acharyas have said the scriptures are saying that Bhagavan himself has come down and declared that. In spite of all these things, Bhagavan is supreme and we are his eternal servants. But when we practically try to implement it, there is something which in between, which is not allowing us some contamination. You said because of our previous karma or... Uh, yeah, it's our, it's our ahanka, it's maya, that's ahanka. right, yeah. It's maya. It is not a maya. But maya being the external energy of uh, uh, the Bhagavan, why not she help us... Uh, She's she helping us by testing us to see how sincere we are to yeah. surrender to Krishna. So this process we have to continue and slowly this uh, yeah. mercy we have to... Uh, She's helping us by uh, testing us do we really want to serve Krishna? We have to become free from false ego. Nirmana moha dira sangha dosha. Nirmana moha. Free from false ego. The false ego is the hurdle. Yeah. You can call it like that. It's our own rascal though. Rascal. Our own rascal. Oh, 